Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, a very happy and blessed Easter season to you. What I want to do during these uh, seven weeks now of the Easter season leading up to Pentecost is to follow the church as she lays out for us passages from the extraordinary last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It might be easy, you know, as you go to Mass every Sunday after Easter to kind of lose track of this, like, oh, that's that, yeah, the second readings from Revelation. So I thought we would just kind of walk through them, because this book is extremely important. It's fascinating. If you doubt me, just go on the internet sometime and look at the, I mean, like millions of references to the book of Revelation. What does this mysterious book um, mean? But I, I want to take advantage of the fact that the church has given us this book so we can kind of look at it, not in infinite detail, because you spend the rest of your life looking at every detail of it, but at least to get a good um, you know, approach to it. Now, there are a lot of ways to look at this great text, but can I suggest one that I think is certainly not correct? And that is to read it simply as a literal description of what will happen at the end of the physical universe. So a lot of people will look at the book that way. It's, it's describing what will happen when the world comes to an end. Now, why do I say this is not a good way to approach it? Well, if this were the right interpretation, right? That's what this book is about. It's about the end of the physical universe. Then this book would have basically meant nothing to the hundred generations of Christians who preceded us, for whom the world did not end. And unless on the off chance the world does end in our lifetimes, it'll mean nothing to us. Which in point of fact, the church has placed this book at the very end of the Bible, and that is not an accident. You know, if you're an author of a novel or a play or something, I mean, you're very attentive to how the play or the novel or the story ends, right? That's where everything is kind of drawn together. That's where the momentum of the narrative is going. And so this is the end of the Bible. It's the culmination of the entire biblical narrative. Therefore, I submit to you, it must have relevance for all Christians of any time, including very much our own. And even if the physical universe isn't going to end or hasn't ended, still this book speaks to us. Now, one reason that we're misled about the book of Revelation is the title. So in Greek, it's the book of Apocalypsis, right? So we say the Apocalypse. And naturally, we associate apocalypse and apocalyptic with disaster. We say it's an apocalyptic movie. It's an apocalyptic book. It's about the end of the world. Well, see, in point of fact, though, the word apocalypsis in Greek doesn't have anything to do with the end of the world or even with disaster. Apocalypsis literally means unveiling. It means taking away of the veil. 
which is neatly reflected, by the way, when they translated Apocalypsis into Latin and we got revelatio, didn't we? Vela means veil. Revelatio means take the veil away. And that's our, our term. The book of Revelation comes from that. And so don't think primarily of end of the world. Think unveiling. If I were to propose a, a more literal English translation, I'd say this is the book of unveiling. At the very end of the Bible, something of central importance is going to be disclosed to us. Think of a curtain being pulled back, something revealed. Something that was hidden is now unveiled. And let me suggest this. And this is exactly why the church reads this book in the Easter season. The unveiling has to do with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let me say that again. And, and let, let this interpretive motif govern the way we, we look at this book now throughout the Easter season. The unveiling in question, the apocalypsis, has to do with Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. An old world is giving way, and a new one is emerging. That's what was unveiled to them by the resurrection. Old world giving way, and a new one's emerging. Now, mind you, this process is always painful. When an old way of doing things, an old state of affairs is giving way and a new one's emerging, whether we look at that in terms of nature, in terms of politics, in terms of the weather, that's usually a painful and stormy process. You know, stay with that storm image. What produces storms but the meeting of kind of incompatible weather systems, right? If like severe cold means severe heat, uh, et cetera, that tends to set up this storm uh, pattern. Well, that's where a lot of the storminess and the violence and the, and the uh, upset of this book come from. Old world collapsing, a new world coming to be. Okay, so with that little introduction and orientation, let's begin our look at these texts. And again, we're just going to look at a few texts over these next seven weeks uh, to get the whole book. I mean, I recommend take out your Bible and, uh, and read through it during the Easter season. Maybe get a good commentary. Go online. I, I, we probably wouldn't have time now to recommend all the commentaries, but, but read through the book of Revelation, but we'll follow these liturgical texts now anyway. So in the passage for today, the speaker, the, the writer of the book, identifies himself as John. We're meant to assume this is John, the beloved disciple the author of the Gospel of John, the letters of John. He finds himself, he tells us, on the island of Patmos because I proclaimed God's word and gave testimony to Jesus. And we say, okay, Patmos, where's that? And why does that matter? Well, Patmos is um, in the Mediterranean, not that far from the Holy Land. But here's the important thing. At the time, Patmos was a kind of penal colony a place where the Roman authorities sent people who'd been convicted of serious crimes. What was John's crime? Well, he tells us, I'm on the island of Patmos, penal colony. Why? Because I proclaimed God's word and gave testimony to Jesus. 
It was John's declaration of the lordship of Jesus that got him in such trouble, as it did almost everyone else. All the other apostles of Jesus found themselves in in prison or put to death. And therefore, the location that John gives us is a prime indication of the meaning of this text. It is indeed about a terrible struggle between the kingdom established by Jesus and the kingdom of this world, embodied at that time by Rome, but you know, just march through the centuries if you want. There's always some successor of Rome. Read St. Augustine to get the details on this. There's always some successor of a worldly order based on violence and hatred and division, etc. Right? At the time, it was Rome. And John's going to tell us a story now of a struggle between this Roman worldly way of doing things and the new order embodied by Jesus and his church, which is now being unveiled and that stands athwart the order of Rome. See, I think, friends, that's the interpretive key to this book. Okay, let's go on now. John tells us on the Lord's Day, he was caught up in spirit. Well, what's the Lord's Day? Two things. The day when the Christians worshipped, and that often got them in trouble, didn't it? Because they weren't going to worship the gods of Rome or the emperors. But more to it, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is the day of resurrection. Something about the resurrection is the, is the uh, key now to this new world. He's caught up in spirit. What does that mean? Well, he's deep in prayer, deep in contemplation. He's in a kind of mystical rapture. And he hears a voice telling him to write down what he's going to see. So that's the book that we get now is the fruit of John's mystical encounter. Then this beautifully. Turning toward the voice, he sees seven gold lampstands. Now, we might say, okay, what does that mean? Seven gold lampstands. But see, no first century Jew reading this book, would have missed the reference to the seven-branched candelabra in the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple. What was the temple for pious Jews? It was the meeting place of heaven and earth. It was the dwelling place of God on earth, the locus of right worship. And once a year, in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would commune in that sacred space with the God of Israel. Listen now, with that in mind, what does the visionary see next? And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, wearing an ankle-length robe with a gold sash around his chest. Who's John here but a kind of high priestly figure in the Holy of Holies meeting with the God of Israel, but now in the appearance of Jesus of Nazareth? He's confronting the risen Christ, see? And in light of that vision now, the book is going to unfold. Watch what happens next. He, the Lord, touched me with his right hand and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the one who lives. Once I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. Now, the Lord, as as we well know, as the first Christian certainly knew, did not just die right? Rather, he was brutally put to death by the Roman authorities, the very same people who were persecuting the early church, the very same people who placed John in confinement on the island of Patmos. 
Yes, indeed, once he was dead at the hands of the powers of this world. But here's the point. They couldn't hold him. For God raised him from the dead. Once I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. That's the one that John now confronts in the Holy of Holies. That's the manifestation of the God of Israel that he, that he encounters. And this means the old way of doing things is over. This means that tyrannies which threaten people with death in order to maintain their power have been disempowered. This means that a supernatural love greater than anything that's in the world has been unveiled. A new way of being and acting has been revealed through the dying and rising of Jesus. Okay, so that's how we begin. Now watch as we move through this book. Watch as the old world crumbles apart and collapses, and as the new world breaks through. That's what this book is about. And do you see why, everybody? It therefore has relevance for every generation of Christians, including our own. Because we're facing, in some ways, the successor of Rome. Every generation does. But we got the confidence that that old world, even if it seems very powerful, is in fact undermined and falling apart. And a new one has been unveiled. Let's keep reading this book now throughout Easter, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.